I know for some of you guys, uh, 2018 was an awesome year. That year is going to go down as one of the best of your entire lives. Uh, maybe it brought forth a new stage of life. Maybe you became a spouse. Uh, maybe you became a big brother or you became a parent for the first time or a grandparent. Uh, you landed that job you've been wanting all your life. You got that new car. You moved into your new place. It could be anything, but 2018 was just awesome. And you're like, wow, what a year. It's hard to believe that that's already coming to a close. Some of you guys, 2018 was really tough. And if we're going to be honest, like you're going to look back on this year and it's going to be stained with deep hurt and deep pain. Maybe you lost a loved one or multiple loved ones this year. Uh, you lost a job perhaps, or uh, it was difficult in, in many ways. And you're going to remember 2018 as a year that, man, you, you scraped through. You barely made it to the end. You're, you're excited for 2019 to be here. Um, because it brings about all kinds of new opportunity. You know, uh, as the last Sunday of the year, we could spend the time talking about New Year's resolutions. We could spend our time talking about accomplishing goals, fixing mistakes that we made in 2018, all these uh, fun, you know, classic, cliche, end-of-the-year uh, type topics that we could work through. But uh, I thought something would be really great to spend just a few moments on together as a church uh, on this last Sunday is just to talk about how great our God is, right? Because no matter how 2018 went for you, no matter how 2019 is going to go, or the many, many years to follow after it, one thing will never change. Our God is awesome. He is great. And so what an opportunity we have just to stop and focus on how great he is. So I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to Psalm chapter 24. And as you read through the psalm, as we do so in a minute, you're going to recognize uh, some of the words in it. They're, they're pretty popular in a, in a Christian song. You know, i got to be honest, I don't listen to a lot of Christian radio, so I don't know how much the song is still played on the radio or not, but I remember from like my middle school and high school years, the song was on like constantly. So um, it, it just so happened. I didn't plan it that way, but as I was sitting, I was like, wait a minute, man, these words are really familiar to me. And I happened to just like look it up, and man, boom, right there, they're right in, in the song. So what an awesome thing. So Psalm 24. It's a psalm of David. Let's read that together uh, right now. It says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God, of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The King of hosts. The, he is the King of glory. you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, you are the King of glory. And we are here this morning to worship you. Father, I pray that in the, in the coming moments, as we unpack this psalm, that you would teach us what it is to worship you. How to worship you. 
Lord, I pray that as we reflect on the years past in our lives, we would see your faithfulness. We would see how great you are every step of the way. That is, Lord, we move into new years. As we move into new circumstances and new opportunities, we will continue to trust you and praise you because you are a never-changing God. And so we want to look and see who it is that you are this morning, that we might worship you more fully with every bit of our being. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, this psalm is a psalm of David. It's short, it's sweet, but there's a lot in it. And this is a, this is a really fantastic psalm. It's become one of my favorite psalms. And uh, scholars believe that as David wrote this song, he wrote it on the, the journey bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. And it almost seems like it's a breakdown of two different psalms. If you were reading through it, you, the first part of it is talking about you know God being the creator. He, he's the owner of the universe and who can ascend to his holy hill. And then, then there's this pause, the Selah there, right? And uh, the, the second portion of it is rise up, O gates, right? And you're like, wait, this doesn't even seem like the same thing. And scholars believe that it was kind of broken down throughout this journey. The first part was as they're, they're traversing the road and the, the great journey to come back to Jerusalem. And that second part would have been as they entered or, or approached the city gates of Jerusalem itself, this excitement that was uh, building. And so that, that second portion, the rise up of gates, is kind of the, the climax of the psalm. And it gets, gets super exciting. And I'm excited to get there this morning, as you can tell. But, you know, what, a, what an opportunity. David here in this psalm is worshiping his God. With the people around him, they, they worship their God who has delivered them. They worship their God who has created the world, who rules sovereignly over it. So this morning, we want to look at how in the world do we worship the King of glory? How do we worship the King of glory? And I think we're going to learn something from David's theology um, that is going to help us understand well, what does it mean to worship God, right? We got kids in here this morning, and uh, sometimes we, we grow up in Sunday school, and we just we get this idea of worshiping God as something we do on Sunday mornings in a church service, right? We'll come, and we've just experienced a great time of worship, right, as we sang songs to the Lord, but worship is more than just our, our singing, right? And if you guys are like me, and you're not musically blessed, then you might be a little discouraged to find out if worship were the only way or singing was the only way we could worship the Lord. But worship takes place in many different avenues of our lives. Really, worship is a lifestyle. So let's look at what David's theology has to teach us about how we can worship the King of Glory. And the first thing that David's going to tell us is that we need to acknowledge his character. We need to acknowledge his character. Worshiping God is not dependent upon our circumstances, our preferences, right? It doesn't matter what season of life you're going through. If you're going through a really great time right now, or, you know, maybe you're one of those people that 2018 has been incredibly hard. Those things don't change how we can worship. Worship isn't dependent upon what we are experiencing. It doesn't depend on the lighting in the sanctuary. It doesn't depend on the style. It doesn't depend on, you know, who you're around. It doesn't depend on... Uh, where you're at, but worship is something that is, is constant because it should be focused on God. Right? You'll notice that right as the, uh, David begins this psalm, he begins by addressing the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In the Hebrew, the word the Lord actually comes very first, right? So he starts off, our English translation has to jumble it up so that we can understand what it's saying, but he, he starts off by highlighting the Lord. The Lord's character is 
uh, the central focus of our worship. So the first uh, component, we're gonna, David highlights a, a few different components of God's character, right? If you were to read through the Psalms, read through all of Scripture, you're going to find lots of uh, different aspects of God's character. But in this uh, Psalm, David's going to kind of highlight or focus on a few of those. So I just wanted to, to bring those to the surface and let's talk about them. The first one is God's sovereignty, that God is a sovereign God, right? In uh, verse 1, David says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. So to give a, a definition of what I mean when I say that God is sovereign, right? It's one of those that can kind of sound like a churchy word or like an older word. We don't commonly, like, let me be honest, I don't commonly use the word sovereign in my day-to-day like lingo when I talk to people. Um, but the word sovereign would be to, to reign supremely or to have supreme authority or power over something. So God, being sovereign, has supreme authority and power over all of his creation. David says that he has created it. As the creator of the universe, as the creator of the world, that puts God in the ownership of it. And just as you and I, we own things, we've got stuff at our homes that do different things for us. You know, now you've got vacuums that vacuum on their own. You don't even have to do that. It's awesome, right? Um, but we still, we program. We do whatever we do. And the items that we own, we are the masters of them, right? We choose when and how they're going to work. We choose perhaps how we're going to use them. We're the masters over our own things. And as such, God is the master over his universe. He's the Lord over it, and he rules over everything that he has created. And that, David's pretty all-encompassing. He says, the earth, the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell within it, right? Which includes us. It includes us. All the created beings, the, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the animals that uh, roam around the land, and us. God is the ruler of all, and he is sovereign over all of it. And it's important to highlight God's sovereignty as we worship him, because if he truly is a supremely awesome, supremely powerful, and he alone has the supreme authority of all the universe, that means he alone is due all the glory from it, right? If you were just to follow that train of thought logically. Because he deserves every bit of our worship. You've heard it at Village many times that we are creatures created to worship. And whether or not we're going to worship the one true God, we're going to worship something. But God is the only person, the only being who is worthy, who deserves, is due all of our worship. All of humanity's worship should go to God. Therefore, he can be jealous for it. He is a sovereign God. He is created. He owns all things. And we need to worship him. And if he's done so, that means that he's also set apart. He's set apart. You'll notice down into verse 3. David says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And when we say God is set apart, we're not meaning that, you know, we're all here gathered together and God's sitting off over here by himself and like, like the outcast of the group, right? That's not what we mean by God is set apart, but the, the word holy really means to be set apart, to be righteous and to be pure, right? And so that's where, you know, David says, who can stand in his holy place? 
God is so much more holy, so much more righteous than any of us, any of his creation, that that he is above us all. And David says, listen, who is it? Who, what person can enter into God's holiness? Who can stand before this holy God? And in the, the spirit of worship, God's holiness should, should really cause us to come before him in humility, right? As we see his purity, his supreme righteousness, just how awesome and, and perfect our God is, it will naturally remind us of, of our flaws, of our depravity, the ways that we come up short. And we should worship God for it, not be discouraged, but what a blessing it is, right, that such a holy and pure God would allow us to enter into his presence. But God is so much greater than all. I think of Isaiah Isaiah 6, uh, he is seeing a vision of the Lord, and he says, uh, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Right, man, as we, as we look upon God, as we see God for who he is, that should really humble us. Well, what an awesome God. You are so great. You are so wonderful. What an amazing person. Who could stand in your presence? That as we see God, we like Isaiah would say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I'm so impure. I, I live among un- impure people. No offense, guys. But we, do, we are. And God is so awesome. So wonderful. So God's holiness demands our worship that we would look at his greatness and just be in absolute awe and wonder of this amazing God. If we fast forward uh, towards verse, uh, into verse 7 and verse 8, we see that not only is God sovereign, not only is God set apart, but God is also strong. Strong. And what a word to use to describe God, right? You grow up as a kid and you, you think of your dad, right? This is just one of those things, okay? You, you grow up as a kid and you think of your dad as a super strong guy, right? And we know as we get to adulthood, I don't feel like I'm some super strong guy. You probably don't feel like you're some super strong guy, but your kids think you're like the strongest person in the entire world, right? Because you're the person who can throw them around, you can wrestle with them, you can, you can carry anything, right? You you could carry the car if you had to because your dad's strong and what a word to use for god god is strong david said he's a strong god and he's mighty in battle that's likely they had just been coming from battle where the lord had led them to victory and david reflects on it doesn't say hey, look at us man we got the army we got the strength you can't touch us now nah, but he says The Lord is strong in battle. The Lord has led us to victory. The Lord is mighty and powerful. And this is such an encouragement as we worship the Lord of hosts, the King of glory, right? Because not only is He a sovereign God who rules and reigns over His His created universe, not only is He holy and set apart and more pure and righteous than all beings within it, but He is also a strong and mighty God to enact His will and His desires in His created universe. 
And so we have this great privilege of worshiping this strong God. And I might add, how often do we not really, like, this is one of those things we recognize, we'll like say, yeah, God is strong, right? But when the rubber meets the road, sometimes we start to question God's strength, His might. We're like, yeah, we, we believe in our words and in our heads, perhaps, that God can handle anything. He can make anything happen. And then when it, when it comes down to really trusting in that one moment where you know you got to take that leap of faith, and you're like, ah, you pause for a second. And you start to wonder, well, what if God, what, what if? No, see, God is, he is mighty and strong. He has the strength to uphold you. He has the strength to support you. All throughout history, the beautiful thing about the Bible is you read all throughout it the ways that God is is moving. He is making things happen. He is changing the hearts of people to bring about His will. He is providing for His people. He's leading them. You think about the Israelites leaving Egypt, right? And you're just like, what a display of God's strength and His might. That is the God that we still serve today. But sometimes we water that, that strength of God down. We're like, yeah, he's strong. But we kind of bury most of the strength. We need to recognize we truly serve a strong and mighty God. When's the last time that you just stopped and to reflect and said, wow, God is strong. You looked at what he's been doing in your life and you're like, what a mighty God. You know the, the true might of our Lord is that you and I can have salvation we can have changed hearts. It's one thing to say, well, how great is God? How, that he could change that person's heart. But he could change your heart. He's changed your heart, and that's a miracle. He's changed my heart, and that's a real miracle. We have a strong God that we worship. And we get to praise him for it, right? Think back to when you were a kid, and you just thought your dad was the biggest, strongest guy, Right? You thought he was the greatest thing around. Nothing could touch your dad. That's how we can think about God. God is the greatest. He is the most powerful. Nothing can compare to our God. He's strong. One of the other things that David highlights, and this is, um, I've come to learn that as I study for sermons or writing the, the lessons for the, the youth group, I have this kind of, there's always, God brings about this thing that I can just call the wow moment. I'm like, whoa, I didn't know that. That is awesome. And it's just like the most exciting part of the whole thing. And I, I'm always excited to get to that point and to talk about it. Well, here's the wow moment, all right? Let me bring you in up to speed, all right? David says that God is not only sovereign, he's not only set apart, he's not only strong, but he is spectacular. He's spectacular. Look at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And you just imagine for a second the, the excitement, you know, as they're approaching the gates of Jerusalem. And this is like the, yes! Lift up your heads, O gates! It's so exciting. The King of glory is going to enter in. And you're like, well, what in the world? And I learned something pretty fascinating, all right? So the, the nation of Israel would have been would have understood this a little bit differently than we probably do today. And the reason for that is because they had been surrounded by a lot of other false religions, false gods, and all this stuff. And it was common in that time that when people would construct a temple 
to a God, the bigger the doorway and the bigger the temple, the more mighty and awesome they believe that God to be. The more strength and authority they believe, they believe that that God had. All right? And so i got a picture they're going to throw up on the screen here. And this picture is going to show you the entryway. So that's a doorway to the temple of Ramses II. All right, so this is rewinding a little bit in history uh, from where we're at. But you see how big that doorway is? That guy looks incredibly small. It's wide, it's tall, as if to, to tell you, hey, look how big the doorway is for me to have to enter into my temple. Look how big I must be, how mighty and strong I must be as the God that I would have to enter into this. This is the space required. Well, when the Israelites would have left Egypt, they would encounter many other false gods, right? And they would see these magnificent structures built to these false gods, that these structures would in and of themselves declare, look how great this God is. And think of the the nation of Israel, where for a while they're, they're wandering in the in the wilderness. Think of them as they, they come into Jerusalem now and you know they're, they're there and their temple wouldn't uh, be quite as big as some of these other temples that they would find. And you know, how do you go from Egypt where they say, look how great our gods are. And you go and you wander through and you see all these other false religions. They say, look how great our gods are. And you look at your God and you're like, what demonstrates how great our God is? Well, David declares it right here. He says, lift up your heads, O gates. The top, you can't even see it in in this picture, but across the top, there's there's what is called the gatehead. And that was the the door frame, right? It was up the sides and across the top. And he was essentially saying, our God, our God is so spectacular, so great, he can't even fit through your big doors. You gotta lift the gate heads off for our God to get in. That's how awesome God is. And they're coming up to Jerusalem, and he's even saying of the, the city gates to Jerusalem, lift up your gates that the King of glory may come in. What an awesome and powerful God that we serve. He doesn't fit in human temples, He doesn't fit in our sanctuaries. He doesn't walk through the front door like you and I do. No, God is magnificent, He is incredibly powerful and big and great, and wow! That would ring so powerful to the nation of Israel. They would say, wow, our God is great. We may not have the biggest temples around. We may not have the biggest uh, gates to our temples or to our cities, but that doesn't mean our God isn't mighty. That doesn't mean our God isn't great. Lift up, you gateheads, that the king of glory may come in. I think that is so cool. Right? How many times would you read through that and you'd just be like, oh, I mean, okay, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors. Of the king. Man, they sing weird stuff back then. But you start to understand what they're saying, and you're like, wow. Wow, we serve a spectacular God. Our God is, is magnificent. He's, he's so great. He's without measure. He's bigger than anything. He's bigger than the boogeyman. Right? Our God is something else. Nothing stands in comparison with our God. And David is teaching us, as he worships God here, that our worship needs to be God-centered. And I'm again, I'm not talking about our 
musical worship of God, but our lifestyle worship of God is God-centered, not self-centered. And there is this fine line between the two where we worship God and we do the right things, but it's really for our benefit. If I can do X, Y, and Z, then God will do something for me. Instead of it just being, let me, let me just be in awe and wonder and worship of this awesome God for who he is. That he would have your worship, not for your benefits of it, but because of who he is, that he is due that worship. So, we focus on his character. Secondly, we have to adhere to his conditions. You have to adhere, adhere to God's conditions. See, he's great. He is the creator of the universe. He is set apart. He is more holy than all. He's mighty and powerful like we can't even imagine. And he says, he gets to make the rules by which we come into relationship and fellowship with him. We go to God on God's terms, not on our terms. So in order to do this, we have to have a few things. We need to have right actions. Right actions, David says. If you went back and you looked in verse 4, he had just asked the question in verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? In verse 4, he answers it, and he says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. That's where you're recognizing the song, right? Give us clean hands, give us pure heart. Now you know why I don't lead up here too, right? Let us not lift our souls to another. Right? You recognize the song? Anybody? Yeah. No? Wow, I really just embarrassed myself for nothing. <laughs> Great. All right? So David says, listen, we need to have right actions. We need to have clean hands, not be speaking deceitfully, not telling lies to each other. We need to be guilt-free in a sense is what he's saying. And I want to stop for a second and make a, a clarification here. This is where you might be having some red flags pop up if you're sitting there like, wait a minute, are you saying that we gotta be all right and good before we can enter a relationship with God? I thought this whole thing was faith. You know, grace, and it is, right? If you look at, if you looked over at uh, verse 5, David has says, he will receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This person has experienced salvation from the Lord already. So in a sense, he's talking of believers here. So how would a believer, somebody who has right standing before God, continue in fellowship with God? He's saying you need, to, you need to do what God has called you to do. God expects us as believers to live righteous lives, to live according to his law, according to his word, right? That we wouldn't go on living lives full of sin, that we would die to sin and live to righteousness because that's what God has called us to. So how do we continue in this worship of the, the king of glory? We need to do what God has called us to do. And in so doing, we're worshiping him. Isn't that a great, awesome thing? You're like, wow, cool. Because you're showing that God is supreme in your life, that he is the master of your life, and you are living your life for him. So we do right actions. We have right actions. 
Also, we have right attitudes. This person who can stand in the holy place of God has a pure heart. Has a pure heart. I think of Philippians 4, 8, where Paul says, and this is like way down the road, right? And Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And i got to be honest, that as Christians, so often, the things that we focus on, that will influence our attitudes, the things that fill our hearts, that fill our minds, are no different than the world. The music we listen to, the TV shows we watch, the movies we go to the theaters and pay ridiculous amounts of money to see, the games that we play, all these things, that we fill ourselves with junk so constantly. And then we start to wonder, man, why do I feel like crud? You ever go eat McDonald's? And you're like in the drive-thru, you're starving. And McDonald's just sounds awesome. You're like, wow, I'm a cheeseburger with those fries, man. This is going to be great. And then you get it, and you're like, oh, oh this is going to be something else. All right? You unwrap that cheeseburger. You're like, yes. You eat it. You're sitting there afterwards, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, ugh. And in that moment, you're like, was it worth it? But isn't that what we do? We know McDonald's is not the best food for you. Okay? You know it. You don't go to McDonald's thinking, I'm hitting my calorie count today. You're thinking, I'm going to hit it right now. Okay? But that's what we do with the rest of our lives too. We know stuff may not be the best for us. We know that it's not the most pure thing for us to focus on. We know that if Jesus were sitting in our living room with us, we probably wouldn't put that show on. But we do it anyways, don't we? And then afterwards, we're like, I'm feeling a little... Why, why am I just not feeling, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit? I'm just not really feeling that stuff right now. I don't feel like I love people around me. I mean, I am definitely not patient, let me tell you that. You know, one thing, poof, over the edge. And you start to wonder, why in the world am I feeling this way? And we're filling ourselves with junk. We're not focusing, as Paul would later urge his readers to in Philippi, to focus on things that are pure and lovely and admirable. We just take whatever's going on in the world around us oftentimes, like I'll take some of that and some of that and some of that. And you know what? I should limit it, you know, because I'm a Christian, so I might not do it as much as the world around me, but... And we start to wonder. We need to have right attitudes fixed and focused on the things of God, not the things of the world. And lastly, we need to have right adorations Right adorations. He says in, in verse 4, he does not lift up his soul to what is false. Not having false idols, false gods. And this is another gut check for us as believers, isn't it? Because we go through our lives, and i got to admit, it's hard. There's, there are lots of things in, in this world that pull for our attention, that pull for our time. 
People will classically point the finger at sports, but you know what, sports, that's not the, that's not it. It can be anything. Anything in your life can become an idol. And this is where we need to be really, really honest with ourselves. What is standing between me and the Lord? What is taking a greater level of my adoration, of my worship, than the King of Glory? Is it my cell phone? Do I spend too much time sitting here like this all the time, just looking and seeing what's going on? I, I mean, if I walk out of the room without it, I'm like, i got to turn back. Is it watching Netflix or streaming the latest stuff? Is it catching all the football games, all the NBA games? Is it going to the gun range? Is it going hunting? Is it hitting the golf course? Is it What is it? But there's things in your life that are fighting for the number one spot. And we need to be honest. And that's where we need to make tough decisions and say, you know what? The Lord, the King of glory, deserves my worship. He's number one, and He needs to be number one. So that means making a tough decision, saying, i got to cut something out. Jesus says it's better to cut it out and cut it off than it is to deal with the consequences, right? And that's where we need to get nitty and gritty, because when we come to church, it's really easy to walk in those front doors. You put a smile on, you're like, wow, what an awesome day. Hi, yeah, I'm doing well. You know, So you come to church, and everybody looks like they're living the, the Christian dream. They're walking with the Lord like it's all they do all week. But we all know that we've got some real struggles at home. We're working through some difficult things. We all know that perhaps our relationship with the Lord, I know for myself, my relationship with the Lord isn't where I would like it to be. I know it's not where it should be. But you can come to church and you just put on this smile and we don't address those things. We're not often honest with people around us about what our idols are. And sometimes, if you've got a really good friend... Or sometimes your spouse might call you out on it, and they'll call out that idol, and you're going to get real defensive. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 it's really not what you think. You know, probably is. All right, if other people are noticing it, it probably is. But, but God deserves our adoration. If you want to continue to walk in fellowship with the Lord, you need to do what He has called you to do. Set your hearts and your minds on the things of the Lord and worship Him alone. Don't give other things the number one spot. Don't let them come close to the number one spot. First and second place should be a blowout. God deserves our glory. He deserves our worship alone. So worship Him as He deserves it. And then finally, we will acquire His rich charity. His rich charity. God is a, a graciously giving God. The, the reality is, is we don't deserve to have a relationship with Him in the first place. We've fallen short. We've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And for some reason, in our own pride, we build up humanity. We build up ourselves as if God owed it to us that we could have a relationship with Him. The reality is we screwed it up. God was so gracious and kind, though, that despite our screwing it up, he said, I love you, I'm going to provide a way. And he sent his son to die on the cross. He rose again. He defeated sin and death so that when we place our faith in him, we can have salvation. We can experience the blessings of the Lord as heirs with Christ. What a cool thing. 
We get to experience his blessings. As David says, the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. We're viewed as righteous. We have the opportunity to live righteous lives in the strength of the Spirit. That we would walk in purity with the Lord. We oftentimes will ask, why do I not feel like I'm experiencing the blessings from God? And one, perhaps you are, and you're not recognizing it. Or you're too distracted by everything else going on that is just zooming past you. Or two, you're not doing the things that God has said, this is what must be done to maintain fellowship with me, to maintain this relationship with me. And then we wonder, why am I not experiencing the blessings of God? Because we're not doing it God's way. We're living our lives and expecting God to just come and fit in with it. It's, it's the point that we can't do any of these things apart from the help and aid of our God. We can't have maintain right actions. We can't have right attitudes. We can't worship Him without the Spirit working in our lives in the first place. Our hearts are deceitful. They're evil. They're going to lead us naturally away from the Lord. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's what we do in our own strength. We must rely on Him. Keep your eyes focused on Him. And worship Him. My prayer is, as David said in verse 6, that such is the generation of those who seek Him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. That we would go on as believers seeking God for who He is. He doesn't say such is the, the generation of those who seek His blessings. Such is the generation of those who seek His, his benefits. Such is the generation who seeks His face. Who seeks God Himself. That we would go from here and seek the Lord for who He is.